Good morning. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. If you have your Bibles, please open with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 22 today. That's 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 22. I've titled it, The Soldier's Continuance. You remember as we've gone through Second Timothy, we've been looking at it really through the, the view of a soldier. And that's really kind of a theme that we find in Second Timothy. How the soldier should live, how the soldier should act. The soldier that is sustained and kept by God. The one that brings glory to God. Let us open in prayer. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the many blessings that you pour out upon us. Even when we don't recognize those blessings, we know that you're on the throne, that, God, you've set your eyes upon us. You, you love us with that everlasting love. And no matter what's going on in the world, we have that assurance, knowing that we're kept in you, and we will be kept until that day. Thank you for the promises that, that you have given us and that you do not lie. In Jesus' name, amen. As I mentioned, I title this The Soldier's Continuance. Well, let's just jump into our text and we'll break it up as we go. Uh, verse 9, it says, Make every effort to come to me soon. Paul had urged Timothy to come, come as soon as possible because he knew that time was short. And he loved Timothy as a son, and he longed to see him one more time. You can see Paul's heart here. He longed for the companionship, the, the comfort of really of a, a beloved son, one who he had led to the Lord. I like that thought, that, that he knew that the time was coming near. He knew that God had called him home. He knew that he was about to finish the race and that he finished that race well. Let me ask you the question. You're too in a likened to a race. Are you about to finish the course? Has God made you faithful because you surrendered to him on that course? And if that's the case, then I'm sure you long for the companionship of, of those that God has used you in the life of others. Well, look with me in verse 10. Paul continued, he pressed on, though he was forsaken. Well, forsaken not by God, because God said he never leave us or forsake us. But look at the text in verse 10. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Grecians has gone to Galatia, Titus to Demacia. It's interesting when you stop and think about it here that Demas was a, a Gentile. He's a co-worker. He shared in Paul's first imprisonment. In fact, he had sent greetings to Philemon in the community as well as to Colossians in chapter 4, verse 14. Demas had fallen in love, though, with the, this present world. He, he, had, he had 
fallen in love with money and things and it, it had overwhelmed him and had taken him out. In fact, the action that we see is he deserted Paul. He went to Thessalonica. He, he went to where he could experience all the things of this life. Let me ask you the question. What does this life really offer you? I know for most of us, the best is yet to come. It, it, it's heaven. And every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. So those things that have been given to you come from the Father, not from the world. Well, again, to be forsaken is, is a hard thing to overcome. There are many believers who, who fall into the rut. They Often it's because of power, worldly power, position and pleasure and possessions. It lures them away from God and back into that world, revealing that in most cases they were never really believers in the first place. They, they had a joy for a moment. They were excited for a while. It is especially hard for both the pastor and the people who had, have loved, given themselves to than only to see a person slip back into darkness, isolate themselves from really the love of the body of Christ and, and most of all, the, the love of God. When they're no longer walking in that love of God, Jude makes it very clear, keep yourself in the love of God. And that's in the fellowship. That's in the Word. That's in a coming to the, boldly coming to the throne of grace. You can be still and know he's God. You can hear him speak to your heart and guide you and comfort you. Comfort you with the, the comfort that the world can never, ever offer. That will never satisfy you anything in this world. It's only Christ who satisfies. Then there's Christians who has gone to Galatia. He was a companion of Paul in that final imprisonment. Apparently, though, he was sent by the apostle to Galatia, which could refer probably to Gaul or Pygian, Galatia. But he was sent by Paul. Just as Paul was sent by Jesus, eyewitness of Jesus, Paul, the apostle, now sends others. You and I are sent in the same way, sent in the Great Commission. We... So, some go far away in this world. Some just go across the street. What's important is we're faithful to that calling, faithful to that voice of God. Well, next we see there's Titus. Titus went to Dalmatia. He too was sent on a mission, but only to Dalmatia. Now, Dalmatia was a mountainous district of the Roman Empire lying on the eastern shore of the Adriatic Sea. Well, Paul had poured out his life into these men who God had surrounded him with. And, and now at the end of Paul's life, he, he sees the work that he had started. It is just to be continued on, on by his comrades. And it seems as we look to, that it's penetrating the, the gospel. Think again that the gospel was began in the day of Pentecost. It began in, in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and now the outer 
most parts of the earth. We see the scripture it was being fulfilled one step at a time. And that's true how it works for you and me because we're still in the book of Acts. We're in the outermost parts of the earth from Jerusalem, from Israel, so far away. But yet today we can still fulfill that scripture as we share the gospel, as we go and make disciples. Yet there's one more I want to call your attention to here in verse 11. We can't forget Luke. Paul wrote, only Luke is with me. Paul's close companion, described as a fellow worker. Paul spoke of him in Colossians 4.11 as his beloved physician, ministering physically to him in many ways, but, but here is a doctor watching over him. Paul had poured out his life again and again for the Lord, giving his all, and he needed to be ministered to physically. It was the Lord who ministered to him spiritually, and it was the Lord who ministered to him through Luke. Well, the evangelist and the author, the gospel, bearing that name is, again, the Acts of the Apostles. That, that's Luke. He says only Luke is with him. Luke is his companion. It appears to the end. Paul needed him. Everyone in the ministry needs someone close to him, someone to hold up their arms, someone to share the vision, someone to, to stand in the gap and share and listen and pray for and just be there. Notice in verse 11, there's another person we see. It says, pick up Mark. Bring him with you, for he's useful to me for the service. Now, if you remember, John Mark was a, a young Jewish disciple of Jesus who, who had been credited with the authorship of the second gospel. He was a cousin of Barnabas in Colossians 4.10. And he was the son of Mary in Jerusalem, most people believe, and whose home the early Christians met in in Acts 12, 12. And it's entirely possible that she provided that upper room in which the Last Supper was held in, where the disciples hid right after the crucifixion. And if so, Mark was probably directly involved in these events. Mark obviously had a close spiritual relationship with Peter, because Peter calls him my son in 1 Peter 5.13. And if you remember, Paul and Barnabas took him on his first missionary journey. But Mark had jumped ship. He had abandoned them in Pamphylia. Presumably to, to go back to home, no reason is given. There's no reason clear. There's many things that are said. But it is possible that he was angry that Paul, for assuming the, the leadership of the mission, when Barnabas had clearly been the leader of the journey as it was organized. Maybe Mark got in a dispute with Paul about whether the Gentiles needed to be circumcised and become a Jew before they could be baptized. But the bottom line is, no matter what the reason for leaving, it angered Paul who refused to take him on any more missions, causing a rift between him and Barnabas. Isn't that what happens so often? When one person takes a stand against a family member or a close friend, there's, there's always a division. 
the sin that's in the camp, the sin maybe of Mark, the sin of, of Paul, leads to the sin of Barnabas. Both break up, divided, both wrong. Well, what we see is God's wonderful love and grace for both Paul and Mark as, as they're reconciled as, and they're one in Christ. We see the, the forgiveness the heart of love, the work that was done in, in Mark's life, but also the work that was done in Paul's life. And we don't know much about Barnabas, but I'm sure there was a work in him. And then there's Tychicus, or Tychicus, depending on how you pronounce it. That's in verse 12, but Tychicus, I've sent to Ephesus. Tychicus, personal name meaning fortunate. One of Paul's fellow workers, a faithful worker. He was a native of Asia Minor in Acts 20, verse 4. He traveled with the apostle on the third missionary journey. And Tychicus and Onesimus carried the Colossian letter for Paul in Colossians 4, verses 7 through 9. They were to relate to the church Paul's condition because they were concerned. And in our text here, we, we see that Paul also sent Tychicus to Ephesus, then possibly to, to Crete on another trip in Titus 3.12. We'll see when we get to the book of Titus. Church tradition holds that he died as a martyr. He was one that gave his life, poured his life out for the Lord Jesus Christ. While he was serving alongside Paul, it's ultimately we're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the reason we serve. He's the reason that we give our life away. Now remember Paul is writing to Timothy. Then when we come to verse 13, we see when you come, bring the cloak which you left in Troas with Carpus, the books, especially the parchments. I like that in verse 13, when you come. It speaks of Paul's expectation that, that he's coming. He has that assurance. He has that peace in our heart. And I believe that God can give us that assurance and peace in our heart when we know somebody's going to come and someone's not. Sometimes we know that they want to come, but they can't come. It speaks of the, the commitment. It also speaks of really the, the relationship they have. Now, he mentions there the cloak which probably refers to the outer garment. And Carpus was a, a resident of Troas, a believer, with whom Paul had left some of his belongings when he passed through there. It may have been at the house of Carpus that the Christians in Troas held their gathering. Perhaps Carpus was Paul's host on that occasion, on that visit, preaching when Eutychus fell out of the window and tumbled. That was in Acts 20, if you remember, verses 7 through 12. Carpus was a man that we can just quickly assume he was committed to God, available to God. And he's certainly available to Paul because he saw the hand of God upon Paul's life. Well, for some reason, before one of his departures from Troas, apparently he referred to Acts 20, 13. Paul had left his cloak, his books, his parchments with Carpus. Items Timothy was later asked to, to retrieve and bring to Paul in his imprisonment. 
the book, especially the parchments, he says. Well, look at verse 14 with me. We see there's a man named Alexander, the coppersmith. He did much harm, and the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. I like that. In that one sense that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We don't need to retaliate. We don't need to react. We don't need to say, I'm going to take that person out. I'm going to get even. God protects us from bitterness and anger. Yes, we're hurt, but God will deal with it. And the greatest thing that you and I could hope for is that they would come to their senses and repent. God would grant them that grace of repentance and they would return to the Lord. See, that's the heart of the Lord. That's why God is patient and long-suffering. He's wanting people to come to their senses. You know, I didn't get saved until late in life. I sat in a, a church and I heard the, the gospel clear, distinct. And I was born again as sitting in that church hearing the very word of God. And I was so thankful. See, I was religious. But I was so thankful the Lord had not come back. Because if he would have come back before I was born again, I would have been in hell. We should be so thankful that our God is patient and long-suffering, wishing that none would perish. Well, we know the better thing is to, to go and be with the Lord, but now we should long to seize the opportunities, pray that God will save more, raise up more workers for the harvest. Oh yes, the better thing is to be with the Lord, but yet God still desires to snatch more people out of that miry clay. He still desires that people would come to their senses and return and repent of their sins. And we should be thankful that we have a merciful, gracious God. Look with me at verse 15. Be on guard against him yourself. For he vigorously opposed our teaching. So we learn from there that this man opposed the gospel. The sound biblical doctrine we've talked about. Doctrine being teaching, sound being healthy, the things that will make a person whole and complete, trusting and resting in Jesus Christ, who Jesus Christ is. And he warns them, guard against him yourself. Be careful. Don't let him get a foothold. Recognize what he's going about. He has a, another agenda. It's okay to understand that, but we have to still be hoping and praying that those people will come to their senses, but yet not open the door and let them take advantage or distort the gospel or draw people after themselves. No, we need to be steadfast, standing for the truth, protecting the people. Look with me in verse 16. At my first defense, no one supported me. Paul felt abandoned. 
He describes it as his first defense, meaning his first opportunity, which was given to him to defend at first. This is the preliminary hearing. It wasn't his last trial, but it was the first. A place that he stood as a witness before the accused. And they would say what they said. And no one was there. He felt so alone. God allows that in our lives sometimes. That we would recognize that he's there. He'll never leave us or forsake us. He's the one that girds us up and he's the one that holds us up. He allows that, that we would draw close to him and draw from his power. Not power or might of my own, but my spirit says the Lord. It's those difficult times in life, the times that we feel abandoned, that our relationship deepens, that our faith grows richer, that God is bigger. Why the enemy is using it to try and detour us, to frustrate us. God uses it to take us deeper and deeper into him. Well, no one undertook his defense. Paul, Paul must have, in, in the physical sense, in his normal humanity, just as you and I would, have felt a deep sorrow, emotional pain of being forsaken. But there's something precious. It appeared that he felt no bitterness in his heart. Perhaps like Luke 23, 34, when Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Perhaps Paul was saying the same thing. Hurt, wounded, but desired no revenge, no bitterness. Perhaps praying for them. Oh, that's one of the most wonderful things you and I could do when people hurt you, wrong you. And that's to pray for them. It's really hard to be bitter and angry at somebody if you're praying for them. Again, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. The Lord will judge each day, but they're still here, and there's still opportunity for them to, to receive the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ. Paul continued through forgiveness. Look with me in verse 16. At my first offense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. You know, that's so unlike our nature, that human nature. This is the, the love of God that's manifested in his heart. It's what we see here, the result of God pouring his love into the heart of the apostle. It's the same love that he pours into the heart of a, a pastor to the congregation. It's the mark of a true believer. He simply prayed that God would not hold it against him. You can imagine how Paul must have hurt deeply, but, but Lord, don't hold it against them. Those who he loved the most for it forsaken him, yet he prayed for them. I love the exhortation in Ephesians 4.32. Let me read it. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has 
forgiven you. That's the exhortation to you and me today. It's your choice today. It's my choice today. Either I will choose to forgive or you'll choose to become bitter. And that bitterness will rob you of joy. I've known people that have been bitter for for five years and 10 years and 20 years. and, And I think to myself, how can they call themselves a Christian? The Lord's Prayer says, Forgive us as we forgive others. That's the example. Do we forgive others? Or do we carry this bitterness and and want God to forgive us when we can't even forgive others? Paul continued because he had a friend in verse 17. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Don't you love that? The Lord stood with me and strengthened me. The Lord's the one that sustains us. The Lord's the one that keeps us. He calls you and me friend. How wonderful. You know, people have come up to me from time to time and they'll say, Pastor this and Pastor that. And then... Someone says something, you know what? You may be my pastor, but you're my friend. Those words, they're precious. A pastor, that's my job description. But when a person sees me as their friend, their companion, their brother in the Lord, their co-worker, That is precious. When Hebrews 13.5 says, make sure that your character is free from the love of money and being content with what you have, for himself is said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Jesus, again, who is the friend, says he'll never leave you or forsake you. He calls you friend, companion. He'll never leave you, forsake you. And that's what true friends are. They're there no matter what is going on in your life. The person that pulls away in difficult times is not a true friend. And there's one true friend in life that you can call on. That's the Lord Jesus Christ who will never leave you, forsake you, who demonstrated that love for you on the cross. Matthew 28, 20 says, teaching them, deserve all that I command you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now to a Jewish person in the context of that, they, they were looking for that messianic age. He's saying, I will be with you all the way. You can count on me. See, for a person to be a friend, they... You have to be a friend first, and you choose. It's a choice you make. We decide that we're going to be a friend no matter what the trouble is. We will pray for, we will encourage, we will support. Again, let me encourage you. We will have trouble in this life. And if there's anyone who is qualified to speak about this trouble, certainly it's Job. 
Listen to Job in, in Job 14. Man who is born of a woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. But also the, the words of David are precious. Psalm 46, 1, he says this. God is my refuge and my strength. A very present help in trouble. Is God your refuge? Your strength? Time and time again, David encouraged himself in the Lord. He knew that God was his refuge. He knew that God was his rock and God was his strength. He drew from that friendship, that love, that he was God and he cared. And he's a personal God that knows you. And even when times are difficult and you can't get the words out of your mouth and maybe you even don't even know what the words are, his spirit knows. And when you're trying to get the words out, he inclines his ear to hear, showing that he cares about what you're feeling, what you're going through. Well, look with me in verse 17. We see that Paul continued because many followed him. So that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. He knew he was in a difficult place. He knew it was God that had rescued him. Here's one of the most sobering truths of Scripture. Others are, are depending on us coming. People are depending, as a pastor, they're depending that the word would be brought, that I would be obedient and submit to the word and hear God clearly, and, and those elders would hear God clearly, and that we would follow it and lead them in all truth. That we could say, follow us as we follow Christ Jesus. That should be our desire, our prayer. Lord, help me to be the person that people think I am that I too can say, follow me as I follow Christ Jesus. That's the heart of God. Well, the cause of Christ was more important to Paul than his own personal comfort. See, Paul had won thousands to Christ, and they'd followed him. And many is, had patterned their life after his example. What would happen if he quit? In fact, many might... Quit following his footsteps. I remember one time, I was going through a difficult time, and the fiery darts come on all of us, and you understand that, and questions about ministry. It was one Sunday morning I was, I was teaching, and I received a phone call right during the message, but my phone was off, only to listen to it later. My daughter had called, she knew that, again, that I wouldn't answer the phone. She knew the ringer would be off, but she wanted to encourage me. It was emotional for her, and, and she just didn't want to speak to me face-to-face -face at that time. But her words were this, Dad, don't ever quit. I know you're called to minister. People depend upon you. I heard the heart of my daughter brought tears to my eyes. At the same time, we must give glory to God because it's God who was working in my 
own daughter's heart to recognize. See, she was on another island and she also was going through things and she also knew how important it was to press on in Christ. Years ago, Pastor Chuck Smith said, it's always too soon to quit. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt like quitting this is just too hard? Well, that's the time that you and I need to, to press in. Press into the Lord. Find the strength that is in Christ. And He is the one that will hold us up. Years ago, I, I read a book. It's called Praise of Plotters. And the idea is just plodding along, one foot in front of the other, just being faithful, one step at a time of what God has called you and me to do. Oh yeah, the enemy will throw all kinds of things at us. But it's the Lord who will sustain us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will sustain us and keep us until that time that we go to heaven to be with him. Look with me at verse 18. Paul continued because he had a future. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom and to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul had that assurance that God was there for him. See, this is something that, that we begin to understand only as we go through trial and storm and trial and storm that he's there. He never has left us. He never has forsook us. But he will always be there. And then we want to be with that one that is so faithful. If God is for us, who could ever be against us? 2 Timothy 1.12 says this, For this reason I also suffer these things. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I believed. I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. And Paul's speaking to Timothy. I know who I believe, referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. See, eternal life is knowing God. Do you personally know that he'll never leave you or forsake you? Believing is not about, it's believing in and on in that assurance. It's being convinced that he'll never leave you or forsake you, that he gave his life for you. See, the demons believe that's not enough. It's a belief that turns to faith that he will keep me. I'm kept by the power of God. He will protect me. I've given myself over to him. So he's saying here what I've entrusted to him until that day. So wonderful to know that you've given your life to Jesus Christ. He will keep you through every storm. If there's a time in this life that you close your eyes, you have that assurance that you'll open them up to see him face to face. In a sense, Paul's loneliness here, we, we, we understand, we feel today, but in Paul's case, it, it, it turned to laughter in his presence. 
the cross we carry today, it's going to be traded for a crown one day. Our hurts will be forgotten as hallelujahs ring out in glory. Look at verse 19. We see again a, a series of names because, see, the book is coming to an end. And, and in ministry, there are many people involved in ministry. Just as this church is it's not about this pastor, I'm not the only one. There are men and women that together keep this ministry going. God has put men and women here for such a time as this because God loves our community. God wants to reach our community. God wants to conform you and me to that likeness of, of Jesus Christ. Well, again, verse 19 says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila. Paul sends his greetings to this married couple who had served with him often in the gospel. Prisca or Priscilla. It's used interchangeably in different places. And Aquila met Paul first in Corinth and traveled with them to Ephesus. They lived for a time in Rome. And just like Paul, they were tent makers I stop and think for a moment as I see this list and I think of all the people that God has brought in my life and in my life into the life of others people that were standing together people while we may be separated by by space right now we're still one in heart I think of the past worship leaders, the, the past elders and deacons that have been a part of this church. It's a group of people. Some are married and some are single. But the common denominator is that we all love Jesus Christ. And our lives cross one another, encourage one another, provoke one another. Others well, also look here. Onesimus. He previously mentioned him back in verse 16 of chapter 1. Let me read it to you, 2 Timothy 1.16. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesimus. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. So when Paul was in, in, in prison, chained, bound, here's a man that was an encourager, refreshed him, was not ashamed of him. And see, that's what a true friend is, no matter what's going on. They're your friend. You're going to stand beside them. Even if they've done something horribly wrong, you're going to pray for them. You're going to encourage them to turn back to Jesus. Friendship is a, a commitment. That's a true friend, committed for life. How many true friends do you have? Something I found within the body of Christ why they may be friends, they're Ohana, they're family, close, intimate, transparent, oh, we know one another's weaknesses, failures even, but we love each other, we pray for one another, and we encourage one another. Look with me in verse 20. 
We see another one, Trophimus, is mentioned previously in Acts 20, verse 4, and, and then again in chapter 21, verse 29. Converted in Ephesus, he had, he had accompanied Paul to Jerusalem. Here we read that Paul had left him in Miletus, sick. This is the real important point. Although the apostle had miraculous power of healing, he, he didn't always use it. It wasn't God's will. God works in different ways. It may seem mysterious just because we don't understand. But God chooses not always to heal. Sometimes it, he may heal, and sometimes he may use you, and sometimes he may use me. And we don't understand. But we go on with life trusting in God, whether it makes sense or not. The scripture's clear that we're to trust not in ourselves, but in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. It was God's will, for whatever reason, we simply don't understand. The miracle of healing was never employed as a matter of personal convenience, but rather it was a testimony to unbelieving Jews uh, the truth of the gospel. They were always called signs and miracles, uh, pointing to the fact this was given with the authority of Jesus Christ. He had the power to heal. You and I don't have that power other than in Christ. And oftentimes we see people calling attention to themselves instead of glorifying Jesus Christ. Look at verse 21, we see Timothy. Timothy should do his best to come before winter weather and where the travel would be more difficult or even impossible. Paul longed for Timothy's presence. He wanted him there. He, he needed Timothy. And he's waiting just as a father longs to see his, his son. He's on his deathbed. When that time comes and a family's passing away, they want their family there, those that are close to them. Next, we have the greetings to Timothy. And we list several other people here. In 2 Timothy 4.22, notice what it says. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. We need the spirit of peace, the spirit of truth. We need the Lord's grace each day, just as they needed it in those days. Thank you, Lord, for your patience and long-suffering, waiting for us to come to our senses. Thank you for the people that you've brought into our life that have ministered to us and have ministered to you as, as they've ministered to us. Thank you for the opportunities that you give us in life. And thank you that your word does not come back void and that we know that you're coming for us one day and there we'll be with you forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.